brought some uh, heavy hitters with me here because I, you know, was on vacation. So, um, so anyhow, if you're wondering like, who is he, that's who he is. He's a great guy. Uh, maybe you've seen him a couple times. I know we've had him speak uh, midweek stuff outside in the quad a couple years ago. But anyhow, welcome, Jordan. Glad you're here today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. Yeah. So um, we're continuing on in our I Am series and uh, coming into uh, the sixth of seven. And uh, one of the things I was thinking about for this one here is the previous five I Am statements um, were all said in public. These were public declarations in the, amidst the crowds and the disciples that were there. But as we come to these last two, there's a key change that's taken place. The, the focus or, or the community of people who are in on these two statements are the 11. It's in the upper room on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shares two key pivotal I am statements to the 11. In chapter 13, we're going to look at chapter 14, but in chapter 13, um, right, he washes the disciples' feet, he has a couple comments, and he, and he makes this statement, one of you is going to betray me. And they're like, who? Like, what? So all of a sudden, there's some significant concern that Jesus is bringing to his best friends. One of you is going to betray me. And then he dismisses Judas to go do quickly whatever he was going to do. And they're trying to figure out, like, what? Who's... Who's the betrayer? And then before they even figure that out, he throws the second piece of information that gets their hearts stirring in a a negative way, so to speak. He says, I'm going to leave you and where I'm going, you cannot come. And then he says that twice. I'm going to go somewhere and you can't follow me. Later on, you will, right? And then Peter, you know, famously says, "I'll, I'll die for you. I'll go wherever you're going to go. So amidst the the reality of betrayal that's coming and the concern that I'm going somewhere that you can't come, their hearts start to be filled with concern and questions. Their expectation was this is the Messiah and the Messiah is going to build his kingdom. So how can the king of the kingdom leave to somewhere that we don't know where you're going and we can't come with you, but yet you're the king of the kingdom? So there were a lot of concern, a lot of questions going on in their heart that made them start to, to, to be fearful, to be concerned, to be uncomforted. And so Jesus is going to make some statements here, this one today, that's going to hopefully alleviate their concerns. And then next week is talking about empowerment. But this week is about comforting in the midst of our concerns. They gave up everything to follow. And so now they're hearing stories of betrayal. They're hearing that you're leaving. And so the hearts are troubled. And so we pick up this story in John chapter... uh, Too far. There we go. It's not my computer, so there we go. All right, so John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Jesus gives them this emphatic statement, this command, don't let your hearts be troubled. Right? He knows their hearts are, are troubled because he just said a couple troubling things. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And it's a significant statement. First of all, affirming to them that yes, you've heard some concerning things, but don't let that drag your heart down because you trust in God. And then that same level of trust and that faith that you have in God the Father, you have that in me as well. 
And by saying that, he's inferring and saying a couple significant things. That first and foremost, he is, is equal to God. Right? The statement of comfort to believe in God, believe also in me, is based in the reality that Jesus is equal to God. If that same level of trust you have in God, you have that same level of trust in me. So if I've said things that concern you, hear my comfort. You can trust me the same way you trust God the Father. Then in addition to that, the the disciples that were lacking their understanding, right? So Jesus will entertain some of the questions. But first and foremost, this comforting statement. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Is built on the reality that Jesus is God in the flesh. And then as he's shown them over the last three years, you can also trust me because you've seen my works and my, you heard my words. My words of who I say I am have been backed up by what I've done and you've seen it. You've experienced it. So you can trust me because you know who I am. You know who I am at the core. And it's also based on a promise to return. It says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And so he's starting to focus in on one of their significant concerns. Where are you going? that means then you're leaving us. If we can't come with you, then we're not with you. And that was the bottom line of their concern. How are we not going to be with the king? How are we not going to be with you, Jesus? And so here he comforts them that I will come back so you will be with, with me. And obviously we know that if you've read in this section of scripture, shortly after this, Jesus then tells them that when he leaves, he will send the comforter. He'll send the Holy Spirit so that God is always with his people. But right here, he knows. He knows the heartache of the information they're still processing, and he seeks to alleviate their concerns that, wait, even though we'll be separated, I will come back and you will be with me and the Father. So I understand your concern, but I bring comfort that you will be with me and I'll come back. He says, you, you know the place to where I'm going. He's affirming that they've been paying attention in class the last three years. You, you know where I'm going. And I love this interpersonal interchange with Jesus and the disciples in the upper room because it's just real dialogue amongst friends. He says this, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas, Thomas felt either safe or vulnerable or he's like, wait a minute, I find my note on that. Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? If we don't know where you're going and you can be going anywhere, then how in the world are we going to find you? Right? We don't have GPS. We don't have cell coverage. We're up here in Arnold, California. There's no AT&T towers. I can't get a hold of Tim. Like, where are you going? And he, and he hears him. Lord, we don't know where you're going. So if we don't know where you're going, how in the world are we going to find you? 
Yeah, so to understand what Thomas or what Jesus is about to answer, I think it's really like important that we understand what exactly Thomas is asking, right? So uh, Thomas is asking about two different things. One is salvation. Salvation, this is the afterlife. This is eternal life. This is heaven. This is the good place where we all want to go after it's, you know, our time is up, right? One, he's talking about salvation. Two, he's talking about God, God the Father. Now, I know, like, in this room, like, everybody is at different levels spiritually. We're all learning and growing together. Um, but this is the being that we think about when we typically hear God, okay? Because everybody has that kind of different view, and Jesus is breaking it down for them. So, talking about those two different things, salvation and God the Father. And he responds with verse 6. It says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, everybody say no one, one. comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So salvation and God, what Jesus is plainly stating is that Jesus himself is the way to salvation and Jesus is the way to God the Father. No one gets to any of those without him. Amen? So, and this, this is the, to the, like, the exclusivity of Christianity. Because the truth about Jesus is not just the truth for Christians. It's not just for the, the, the truth for people that go to Cedars Church or Echo Church or Resonate Church, whatever church. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the truth for people that are inside the church and outside the church. Does that make sense, y'all? This is the truth. So, that no one, no one has the truth about God, no one has the truth about heaven, or even the truth about hell, if they have not put their faith and trust in Jesus. So, what a, what a turnoff that is, right? If, you know, if, if you hear that as a non-believer, um, what a turnoff that is. That's very closed-minded, that's very narrow-minded of you to, for Christians to believe that, you know, of the 4,300 religions, I Googled that yesterday, um, 4,300 religions, how convenient is it that Christians have the one single truth? It's very arrogant of Christians to believe that, right? And, and you're going to hear that kind of rebuttal and that response as you preach to your friends, your family, your coworkers, your cousins, your ratchet friends, all that stuff. You know, you're going to hear all these different things when you tell them about Jesus is the only way, truth, and a life. Um, and there might even be some people sitting in this room or watching on this live stream that are thinking that as well. And that's okay. Uh, we're here to work this out together. Um, if that is your thoughts and you feel like Christianity is very narrow-minded and closed-minded, um, my question back to you would be, why would you not want the truth of Jesus? You get what I'm saying? Like, why would you not want the truth of Jesus? Why would you not want the exchange of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, and being the atonement, the atonement for sin? That's a biblical word. Atonement for sins. Like, why would you not want that? Um, because of the 4,100 whatever religions there are, that I've researched and I've spoken to people about their beliefs in God. Um, the people who believe in another religion other than Christianity, at the end of the day, it turns out to be the same. 
You get what I'm saying here? It turns out to be the same. Um, even non-believers, and I think this is what's, what's pretty, pretty interesting, even non-believers who claim they don't believe in God, uh, they hold to a strict set of beliefs and believe in a being that is always right, is always, always knows what's best, and is, can do no wrong. Usually themselves. You know what I'm saying? So, remember the context here. Jesus is still comforting. This is still a comforting statement. So may we never use this statement that Jesus is the truth and the way to life and the truth and the life as a tool or like a stick or weapon to beat people over who are not believers because we're still in a comforting conversation right now. Because the truth is people are hurting, right? I know some people who are hurting and they're trying really hard and they're just looking for answers. That's the reality we live in. And they, they turn to this view of God, right? So they turn to this view of God, but it isn't Jesus. I know this because I tend to fall into this trap sometimes myself. Um, everyone is putting their faith in something. Everyone in this room and outside there, everyone is putting their faith in something. And, and I think sometimes we miss it. And I'm talking to the church, right? I'm talking to myself. Uh, we miss it or it's distorted sometimes because we make our relationship with God about our performance. How much people can I preach to? How much Bible studies can I lead? How many homeless people can I feed? We make it about our performance. But because we have put our faith in Jesus, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. That's Ephesians 2. So in the end, the, the, the two religions that I was talking about, in the end, there's two religions out there that people are putting their faith in one or the other. The one that says, God, look what I have done. The second religion is the one where God says, look what I have done. What Jesus did on the cross, pointing to Jesus and the work he does on the cross. Yeah, it might sound arrogant for him to make that statement, right? You, from now on, you've seen him. But he's been saying this all along. This has been part of his message um, for the last three years of his ministry. And so he is bringing this in. This is a comforting statement. So you think about, I know for me, sometimes it, 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 it's hard for me to find comfort in what I can't see. And so I find comfort in what I can see. And so if I've been following sometimes with God, who you can't see, and here you have him in the flesh who you can see, and it's bringing comfort, and now he's delivering a message, you know, by the way, now I'm leaving. Sometimes in our faith, we need to be able to, to affirm by seeing, you have a reminder of something. You think about that with the Israelites back in the desert. It was one thing that, that God was leading them to salvation out of Egypt. But what a, what a comfort that had to be to have the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke that they could see. Oh no, God is with us. And when Moses would go into the tent of meeting and they would see, right, the spirit of God come down to meet with Moses. If I was, I, I would have found comfort in that. Like, oh good, he, he's still here. He's still with us. 
But then that goes back to that same statement, that same faith you have in God who is unseen, who now has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who we did see, right? We went through the, the book of 1 John, that which we have seen, which we have touched, which we have heard. Like, we've seen him. Like, God in the flesh, we affirmed who he is. He's not unseen anymore. He's been seen, which causes some of the concern. Wait, wait, we, now we've seen you. We're getting to know you, and, and you're leaving us? You're real building your kingdom. And so this, this statement of comfort that Jordan was talking about, which is for everybody. And I love how he answers Thomas's question. And not only Thomas's question, but Timothy's question and Jordan's question. And all of our questions is we have questions as we grow in our faith. Wait, Jesus, wait, wait. What do you mean by that? And he entertains our questions because he loves us. And so he... He answers the statement, no, you've seen the Father, and as you've seen him, then you've seen him through me. Trust in God, trust also in me. And so he he finishes that part of the comforting dialogue, and then Philip. I'm assuming Philip's sitting there, and he's listening to the discussion. Maybe now he's feeling a little brave to to venture into the discussion, because sometimes with Jesus, you never know what you're going to get when you you ask the question, because he's in charge. And so Philip makes this statement in hearing this, then, then Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father who is unseen and that'll be enough. Show us the Father. Yeah, so Philip isn't grasping what Jesus just said, right? He's not picking up what, he, what Jesus is putting down. Um, to put this in a point, and again, I, I emphasize because there's so many different views about God. Um, there's so many different views about Jesus. Jesus is just a prophet. Jesus is the archangel Michael. Jesus is a good teacher. Um, and then, of course, there's many views about God, God's nature, what God approves, what God disproves, what God is for, what God is against. There's so many different views out there, right? Um, and it can get confusing trying to comprehend or grasp who or what God is. But I think in verses 9 through 11, Jesus says it pretty plainly. In verse 9, he says, Jesus answered, uh, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The works I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Verse 11. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know God's nature, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God has to say, look at Jesus. You got what I'm saying? So to put it in a point... um, of all the different religions and different beliefs out there, uh, Jesus, without being God, is not Jesus. God, without being Jesus, is not God. Does that make sense, y'all? Jesus is God. So, do we see how important it is now to read the Bible? 
to read the Gospels, to read how Jesus responds and reacts to sinners, me, myself, and Tim, and everybody in this room. How does Jesus or God respond to us? We look to Jesus. That's, that's the importance of going through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to see how Jesus interacts with people. The importance of studying the life of Jesus, because as you study the life of Jesus, you're going to know what God is like. Amen? Moving on, verses 12 through 14. Uh, Jesus is going from that place, it went from concern, and, and then it went to comfort. And now the third C word is that he's going into a time of commission. The time of commission. So, uh, verses 12 says this. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Um, I, I don't want to be tied down to a chair because I like standing when I preach. <laughs> Sometimes I like to move around and start running. Um, I will be the first to admit that I have used those last two verses very incorrectly in my life. Use it very incorrectly. Uh, it's about doing things that glorify Jesus. Uh, and I've done some things in life that weren't necessarily glorifying to Jesus. Not the casino. Um, what's the casino in, in Sacramento? Thunder Valley. Thunder Valley, <laughs> Thunder Valley right? Outreach. Missions <laughs> financing. Right, right. I'm on the slot machine. In Jesus' name, please let me hit the jackpot. You, my my, you, my um, old pastor used to say, Tim, if you ever go gambling, that's a 20% tithe. No, oh, so there you go. Remember that. Never going to forget that day because it was 999. My birthday is September 9th, and it was 2009 that year. And I turned 18, and I was like, there's no way I'm not going to win. But let me just pray a little bit just to make it sure. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> The gambling age is 21. <laughs> oh, no, no. My bad. It wasn't Thunder Valley. It was uh, Jackson. Jackson. Over there is, 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 is 18. <laughs> um, but that's not the beside the point. We're not talking about gambling right now. Um, Jesus <laughs> wraps up his comfort with commission. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater. Everybody say greater. Greater, greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. Now, John 14, 6 gets all the credit and the glory, and rightfully so, because it's about the, de- the deity of Christ, and that's the most important thing. Um, but this verse, verse 12, is like the second most exciting news of, verse, of, of John chapter 14, that whoever believes in Jesus, in Jesus, like the full deity of Jesus, like the biblical Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, Whoever, like, whoever believes in Jesus and what Jesus does on the cross, that they will be able to do greater works than what he has done. Now, again, at this point, Jesus is healing people. Jesus is preaching. Jesus is teaching. Jesus is uh, discipling people. Jesus has brought great joy to people. Uh, And Jesus has also triggered a lot of people, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't have killed him. But I think this is so important for the church, specifically in America, and I know OB could back me up on this, 
um, that believing in Christ is more than just going to church on Sundays. I'm going to say that again. Believing in Christ is more than just going to church on Sundays. Now, I used to be, let me, let me get vulnerable for a minute. I used to be the person that would go to church every Sunday. And then I lived my life however I wanted to after. I didn't think about God. I didn't want to hear about God. But I did give like two minutes of my day to God, which was before I slept and before I prayed for, for when I was eating. Monday through Saturday. That was my life. Not so much on Friday and Saturday, but Monday through Thursday, I would pray. That was my life pattern. That was my Christianity before. But Sunday comes, and I'm back in church. I feel God. I love the message. Praise God. God is good. Amen. Sunday nights, I'm forgetting everything that I just learned. That was the pattern of my life. And this was the pattern of my Christianity for years, and uh, I believe that Christianity is now reduced to live however you want to live, except for the two hours on Sunday morning. But then you actually dread those two hours anyway, so now church is just boring. <laughs> you know, church is just boring now. Uh, full transparency, I used to be the person that would go to church intentionally 20 minutes late because I wanted to skip the worship part. <laughs> I just thought it was singing, like... We need to listen to this for. I don't like this music, you know. But that's not my life now. I, I love worship. So shout out to the worship team. Shout out to Kelly. Hey, shout out to Stefan. Like <laughs> the rest of the worship team that y'all pray. I love listening to worship. Um, but that was my pattern of Christianity. And my heart was not in church, even though my body was in church. That makes sense, y'all? So I would show up 20 minutes late just so I could skip the singing part. I just wanted to hear the message. But. As I grew more in my character of Christ, and the more I got to actually apply the things that Jesus talked about and apply the message that I was starting to really grasp and understand, um, this term hit me, that if you are claiming to, be, to believe in Christ, your life should never be boring. Your life should never be boring. And I get that we all have, uh, you know, highs and lows in our life. I'm not being unempathetic with where you're at in your journey. Uh, in our highs and lows, okay, even in our highs and lows, specifically in our lows, may it be full and filled with the hands of God. That makes sense? So there ain't no lows, really, because the lows, you're experiencing the presence of God. So to, to put this kind of like in context, to, to bring it home a little bit, whether you're in a good time in life or bad, God is still with you. Amen? Again, great, like we're, do, we're able to do the things that are greater than what Jesus was doing. So, more specifically, God has equipped you to do his will. Amen? You do not need a six-figure job in order to do that. Like, I know you just graduated from school and college, but you do not need a job specifically in your field in order to do God's will in your life. You get what I'm saying? You do not need to wait until you retire, and then you will be able to do God's will in your life. That's not how we see it. Or to bring it like, you do not need to be in a relationship or to be married or to have kids 
or you do not need to be a homeowner in order to do God's will for your life. Because the verse plainly says, whoever believes in me will do greater works. So, God is not waiting for you to do something and then he's going to let that happen. Like, you, whatever situation, whatever season of life you're in right now, you're able to serve God and you're able to serve others. Amen? This is the importance of, of Cedars, what we've been talking about. Loving where you live. Living sent. Being in missional communities to where not like, are you sharing the wisdom and the knowledge that God has given you, but you're able to pass it along to others. So, because you have believed in Christ, God has chosen you and has equipped you to do his work. Amen? Amen. Yeah. The idea of greater, right, is multiplication. Um, right? Because he, he, he told 12 friends, kind of 11 friends, and then 12 friends, and they told two friends who told two friends who told two friends. Um, and we're called to live this. Monday, Memorial Day, um, I was up late having some very rich food and some fun conversation on, sat- on, Friday, on Sunday. And then I was supposed to do a group run on Monday. I'm like, oh, I don't know. You, know, you shouldn't, shouldn't go for a 10-mile run after you eat you know, charcuterie and barbecue late the night before. It isn't really the best for your stomach. But I woke up in time like, oh, I should join them. So we went for our run. We ended up back at the high school. We were starting, and people were starting ready to, you know, hey, let's go to Pan- Panera for coffee or this or that, whatever. And I was getting ready to go home. And one of the guys from this group, and I know him, we're friends, we talk. He, he starts to kind of pull me aside or push me aside, like, hey, I'm like, what, what are we doing here? Like, I didn't did offend you. <laughs> like, so he's just like moving me literally across the parking lot away from everybody else. And I'm like, Dude, what's, what's going on? He's like, can we talk real quick? I'm like, sure. I'm like, what did I say wrong on the run today? Um, and so he just kind of looked around and he knows who I am, he knows what I do. We've never had a conversation like this, but somehow he felt the safety say, hey, um, this is going on in my life. There's a very broken area. He was very vulnerable. This is a very broken area in my life. Like, can you help me? And so here we are, like, you know, seven car stalls away so people can't hear us talking and having this conversation. And one by one, everyone's getting in their car and driving away. And then we're just there alone having a conversation because he knows who I am. He knows who I follow. And he's heard a little bit of my testimony. And it was just enough to say, hey, I haven't figured out how to solve this uncomforting situation. But I feel safe enough to ask my questions and have a conversation with you in a parking lot of a high school and be vulnerable. Just like the disciples were with Jesus. So all the cars are gone and, you know, to take my runner hat off and put, or put on my, uh, my Jesus hat, so to speak. And I did. I'm like, Here, here's vision. Here, here's where you can go with this. And then we can work on some things to go. You have my cell phone number. Like, you know where I live. Like, you sometimes run by and wave at me when I'm running, when you're not running, right? So he, he knows. And so do greater things because God's commissioned me the same way he's commissioned you. And I lived available on Memorial Day Monday to get out of my bed, even with rich food still in my stomach, to go run. 
so I can have rich conversation with somebody who needed the presence of Jesus to be on that run to ask vulnerable questions. Why? Because as we just looked at, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him, and then he commissions you. We'll do greater, additional multiplication things because you follow the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what we're talking about. Next week, we're going to close the series with the empowerment that makes this all happen. In the statement, the last statement that Jesus makes. Yeah, is it uh, arrogant for, for Christ's followers to say there's only one way to salvation? If it's arrogant, it came from Jesus. Is it right? Is it true? Is it available to all mankind? Yes. Because all the other religions follow the directive of the enemy in the garden that you can be like God. Whereas Christianity is, no, I know I can be like God, but there's only one way to become like him through the son, Jesus. So that's what Jesus is saying here. Amidst the concern that they had from the things they heard to the comfort of the words that he has that then turned into a commissioning opportunity to now you go and do these things. And then people hear and believe. We have the opportunity. This is awesome. We have a new baptistry. You may not have noticed it. It's kind of dark. It's somewhat incognito in the shadow over here. Um, so hopefully you're going to see us. But um, we have a chance to use our new baptistry for the very first time to, uh, to baptize Jessica Ryu. Um, and yeah, yeah. So I'm going to take this off here. And uh, right, so just playing out what, 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 what we were looking at, Jesus said that you'll do greater things. So there's this multiplication effort that as we tell people and they tell people and they're in relationship with friends and in, in their sphere of influence, that then other people hear the message and respond. And so, yeah, come on up. And so, uh, so Jessica, um, you want to step on in there? 